Ambulance emergency. Is the patient breathing? He's dead. I've killed him. What's your name? I'm not going to tell you that. Give us your exact location. We might still be able to do something. Oh, my God. Gable, is that you? Do I know you? Who was it, Gabriel? No idea. Don't you remember? Well, she knows you. I didn't know who else to go. What's going on? I have no idea who these people are. The dead man, Gabriel. <laughs> Wherever you go, I'll find you. What would you do for me, Gable? tonight, as Gaynor has already explained, but let me welcome the panel that we do have this evening uh, before I speak to them. Uh, well, what I'm about to speak to them, you guys are going to get the chance to speak to them, uh, ask some questions after I do. So first, Joe Vanderham, who played Sam. Hi. Welcome, Joe. We have director, Amy Neal. Welcome, Amy. And right along here at the end, Elaine Cameron. Elaine, I shall email you my questions. Any technical issues happen given you the other end of the room. Uh, first of all, I would like to start with you, Elaine. Tell me, tell me, take you back to the start. The idea for this, where did it come from? Hello. Never go. Yeah, no, the idea was totally Nick's. I mean, Nick. Totally Nick. Oh, totally Nick, Nick Leather. Yes, Nick yeah, Leather. Not yeah, totally yeah. Nick, which is what I thought she said there for a second. Well, you say that. You say that. We were. We did start in a sort of, you know. Oh, let's do something with lots of thrills and spills. Let's do something that's a bit Hitchcockian. Let's do... So we kind of were starting to get the ingredients together. We really wanted to work together on a, on an idea. And, um, yeah, no, he had, a, he had a couple of thoughts. And then he, he literally just came in and, and pitched the entire thing. Not a piece of paper in sight never a piece of paper in sight and I think Gaynor, our commissioning editor, will attest to this. You'd take Nick into the BBC and he would pitch to Gaynor and the head of drama that there was never anything in writing. He just told the story. And he told it brilliantly and the story was actually inspired by something that happened to him. Ooh. Um, his, his little girl, he's got two little girls, but his, his, his little one was very small. And she woke up one morning and she was feeling really very poorly. So him and his wife were really, really worried. So they called 999, what do we do? She's not moving, she's all floppy. I mean, it's every parent's worst nightmare. And he had, he said to me, it felt like a lifetime on the phone this woman who answered the phone from the 999 call and sort of talked talk to them through it. Anyway, his, his little girl was fine, but it stayed with him. I mean, it was such a profound thing for him. It stayed with him, this, this relationship he had on the line with the woman that was talking him through all the things he needed to do. And, he, and he, you know, he's talked about this, but he literally just wrote down you know, call room, dial 999, yeah. and he just ringed it up and thought, that's, I'm going to do something about that. Now, how that works into a suspense thriller... <laughs> we probably just ended on. ...with, you know, all of that is, yeah, but that was part of the journey, so... Okay, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, no, he had me at dialing 999, and uh, 
it being this voice on the other end of the line and um you know and then he was off so. yeah i mean it's you, you say you had you at that point it's certainly you know this has me at that point for the first yeah. time you know uh, and again tonight when i was watching it last night i felt oh because not only do you have that sort of unfamiliar territory if any of us have been unlucky enough to have to make a 999 call you do wonder you know, kind of, you try and visualise where where the people are that you're speaking to, and what the sort of you know context. Yeah, that what, what you would do in that situation. Yeah, yeah. Now, if, if someone asks you to do what he did in this, that's very different. But again, we wanted to do something quite extraordinary and ask the audience, and what would you do in yeah. that situation? So yeah. we really wanted him to be every man, you know, the ordinary person in an extraordinary situation. Hopefully not that extraordinary for everyone, but you kind of can relate to it a bit. Yeah, and we get I think we get the feeling uh, very early on that, that um, Gabe is he's a sound soul, really, isn't it? We get that we get that feeling quite early on. There's much more to come, obviously. Uh, Amy, tell us a little bit about your attachment when you came on board. At what stage was the idea? Of it? I mean, were you you weren't in this meeting where where Mick poured it all meeting. out? No, it's just working. Yeah. Um, I, Elaine sent me the script, I think episode one, um, and which I read and really enjoyed. And it was, I think the first two pages in the original script didn't have any dialogue. I thought that was amazing, you know, for a director. Yeah. And I thought, and then throughout, uh, that was flash, it was originally a flashback in the first um, opening scene and it all got restructured. Um, but the way that Nick wrote was really beautiful and poetic and it felt like there was a lot as a director that you could do. You know, it was giving you this kind of beautiful world that you could, you know, do really interesting things with. Um, so that really drew me in and then the thriller plot I thought was extraordinary yeah. and then I chatted to Elaine and really liked her. So, and, the, uh, so well, that's, that's good. <laughs> I thought, you know, it's if the team around you are, are yeah. really lovely and interesting and interested, then it's always a good start. And that flashback yeah. dynamic then, that was already established um, in, in Nick's script, I take it? It was, yeah. It was one of the kind of most challenging things to do in the edit because figuring out a way of keeping the present day ticking on, I mean, it just you don't need to do it, you know, it just drives itself but also dealing with this mystery in the past. Yeah. So, you know, we wanted to use the flashbacks in a way that we didn't interfere with the present day story, but contri you know, added to what was going on. So you find out a little bit of the mystery and a little bit about their relationship. And throughout the, the series, we learn, you know, a little bit. I, I would say the, the flashbacks did sort of evolve, I think, once you were up, once Amy was on board. I think mm. they were, there was a little bit more of a sort of linear, you know, nature to, to, to that sort of backstory. And I think, you know, a Amy developed it into something just slightly more expressionistic, but still, but we didn't want it to be just boring, abstract bits and bobs, you know, we wanted it to have its own narrative as well. But, and, and Nick and I had, looked at all of Amy's work and there were there were like a couple of short films you you did you know right at the start of your career and we were there was just something about the poetic qualities in those films that just felt very visual and 
and kind of a little weird and that that felt like a, a good fit for the flashback stuff so those flashback you know that sort of dual timeline thing was was definitely in the script but it was something that Amy took on and took yeah. to a different place yeah. yeah okay I'm going to come back to you in a second Elaine and pick up on something we talked about earlier on uh, about a reference that, that you pulled into the into the script and storyline from, from your own uh, background back in the day. But before I do that, Joe, uh, how does it feel seeing yourself as a photo fit on the big screen? I was just waiting for the day. <laughs> <laughs> we knew it was coming eventually. I mean, do the crime, do the time. Yeah, well, there you what go. can I say? Uh, um, the, the character of, of Sam, how was she uh, to get you? She goes on quite a journey in this without giving much away. Um, uh, you know, how, how did you how did you wrap your head around that? Um, I mean, working with Amy kind of cemented a lot of the things that I'd been working on. Um, first of all, it's so nice to get to talk to people who've seen the first episode, and I'm not going to give anything away because that was such a big thing of all the press has been like don't tell them anything and I'm like but I am the twist like literally that I am the twist and um, so it's great to get to chat to you guys um, you've given it away I mean well no like my appearance is the twist um, the first the, twist the, the fact that the fact that they do know each other because I've not been able to tell anyone that because that's been top secret so you all know that um, and yeah I mean I mean Sam does go on this incredible journey but that's what makes good drama so you know hats off to these guys for for you know it, that's why you choose that moment in someone's life and when we meet her she's sort of we don't know what she wants and we don't really know if we trust her and for me that was really fun to play so there were different takes where it was sort of pushed one way and pushed another and and then you kind of got to choose whatever version you wanted and what was going to tell the story the best way. And that was really, really fun. And there were times when we were talking with Ian and he was sort of going, you know, well, they're, they're probably feeling this about each other. And I would sort of take Amy aside and go, she's not feeling this. <laughs> That's not what she feels. She feels something. She feels something. She feels something. <laughs> um, because she's on this kind of multi-layered journey whereas Gabe's character is very much kind of learning things in the moment mm. and reacting whereas she's got some more information than he does so it was quite fun being the, the one step ahead and the sort of not good guy yeah if that makes sense. yeah absolutely I, obviously you would have spent a lot of time with Ian and he's not uh, here unfortunately to be able to answer uh, this question that I would have liked to have asked him but perhaps you can on his behalf uh, how much time if any did he actually spend in a control room do you know Oh yeah, I mean, you know more than that yeah. than, than I do. Yeah, he was addicted to it. Really? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us more. Uh, so he went. I think you know he went quite early on um, in the rehearsal process, and he just kept on asking for more and more. So he spent hours and hours there, days. I think he, he, he went, went on a night, night shift, shift yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he really, really just observed so much about how they deal with calls. I can see why it is addictive. I went into a control room and listened into some calls and it's utterly compelling. Yeah. You know, you just, you get this um, whole 
version of someone's life down the end of the phone and in a really, really extreme situation. Yeah, he said too. he was really yeah. impressed with their um, control. Mm -hmm. uh, control room. Um, but the way that they were able to sort of not let their own emotions come to the fore when they're dealing with someone who's potentially very emotional. Yeah. And he found that he was off to the side going, help them, help them. <laughs> <laughs> he was just not able to control himself at all, which I thought was He's waving the red card in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite interesting as well that we were working on the scripts at, right at the beginning of the whole COVID thing. Yeah. And the NHS workers were these big everyday kind of heroes and you know that sort of fed into it a little bit as, yeah. as, as well but they were hugely helpful you know there were various visits planned and um, I remember a, a couple came over when we were filming and they would look around our set and go well it's just like this in our office we've got those bean bags over there and we've got this board that's got all of our and we were like yeah, because we took Andy, you know, the production design has been and checked it out and we're kind of replicating it. So um, ours is probably a little bit more high tech, but the, that that sense of people all kind of working together yeah. was was very much there. But yeah, and you do very much, you get a, a very strong sense of a, of a team that are all pushing in the same direction in this, really, don't you? Yeah, and, and working together and, and making sure that if they'd had a really difficult call that they took a bit of time out yeah. and they, you know, they have a, a great infrastructure of line managers looking after people doing very difficult jobs and, mm. yeah. Stay tuned. Mm. Um, yeah. Elaine, while your mic is on, yes. just to come back to my cryptic point earlier, you are talking about, uh, you know, going in and, and getting a, a handle on the style of the control room, but you know, one of the very prominent visual aspects of this is the Christmas tree farm. Oh, the Christmas tree farms, yes. So the, so we sort of worked out the bones of the story and, you know, before, in fact, before Nick wrote the first episode, I did say, oh, look, I just want you to show you some pictures. When I was a little girl, one of, one of my uncles had a hotel up in the Highlands that whole family, huge extended Glaswegian family all used to sort of traipse up two hours out of Glasgow and we'd stay in this hotel and my brothers and I, my younger brothers and I were absolutely terrified because on the back of, of one of the windows was this Christmas tree farm that just went up the hill and we were like, it's like Doctor Who, some of the trees are this height and some are this height. And we were really terrified by it. There was something odd and quite surreal about it. And it almost made us not want to go to Uncle Fred's hotel because of this scary Christmas tree farm. And then when I showed him the farms, and then we did some recce to farms, it struck us all, didn't it? When you were in the middle of these farms, they were odd places. It's not like a forest. You know, it's yeah. it, it's different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was great, and obviously there's so much of that in Scotland. And it's really interesting. It's an interesting sort of setting. Mm. There was one really magical night. I think it was my last night of filming. And do you remember magical? It was magical because because all the dew had like oh, yeah. settled on the trees. The rain, you mean? 
Magical. In my mind, it's so magical. Amy's just like, nah, it's just really like a romance. Well, it's a bit like my own style. Like it, it, it's hair was down to 
here, wasn't it? He had mm. just very was long, really, really awkward and beautiful so looks quiet. that we were like, mate, if you get this role, you're gonna have to, you know, lose them all. Is that, it, you know, because it was the land had obviously been grazed. And Joe, did you did you take uh, did you take the young you under your wing? Oh yeah, her uh, police picture is going to be a no. It was it, one of the one of the funnest days of rehearsals was when all the adults were in with all the kids, and Amy sort of said, "Pair up with your younger, older self, and just have a chat about the character and what you think." And so that was what they were told. And what we were told was, see if you can kind of pick up on any body language, any kind of mannerisms that they have that are very specific to them, okay. that you can then bring into mm -hmm. them as an adult. Right. So they don't have any of that self-consciousness, they don't know that that's what's going on, and they won't be doing that <laughs> on screen. And did you? I mean, she didn't really have anything. I mean, she was quite, she gestured a lot with her hands, which I tried to bring in, but it was a balance of like, is that distracting? Is this actually going to be good for the for the character? Um, but it was quite funny because we we sort of were chatting for about twenty minutes, and then she got a bit bored and <laughs> just started showing pictures of her dog. Got her phone out. And yeah, she just got her phone out. She's like, my chinchilla, and I was just like, uh -huh. you are so Sam. Like at one point, she said to me, she was like, I love fire. <laughs> Julian, it's a character. Age like ten, I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's so nice to work with you. <laughs> like, really she loves horror films as well. I, yeah. I, I just think she probably like, didn't before she came to work with you guys. <laughs> Change forever. But the casting was just so so spot on because like mm. she's this sort of wild card, like total firecracker, and then young Gabe is like very fastidious and really wants to get everything right and. That was just so them as adults, mm. and I think Ian definitely took on some of the Harvey Young Gabe's characteristics that he used. That it, sorry, say again. Ian, Ian Ian took on some of Young Harvey okay. who was Young yeah. Gabe's characteristics. Yeah, yeah he, he stole a couple of yeah, there were a couple of physical things. That thing where he puts his hand behind his back yes. in the bothy when he first yeah. when 
Sam first comes in, that was a Harvey thing. Ah, okay. I wondered if, because I noticed in the first episode that he clutched his heart quite a bit, I wondered if there was something... Yeah, I don't think that was from Harvey. No, okay. Um, I also noticed in subsequent episodes, and I don't think this is giving too much away, that Ian DeCastiker probably at that point in his life was the fittest man in Glasgow because he does a lot of running. Has anyone seen Licorice Pizza? I always think that film is just like running, running, running. And I'm like, I do a lot of running. Yeah, in episode two there's lots of running, but actually some of that running it was done um, later on. So. Oh. Yeah, additional running. Yeah, it's additional running, so you have to engage. ADR. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was an additional yeah. running. Uh, uh, <laughs> another attempt Very at one. Very good. Uh, Very okay, good. thanks. Um, yeah, in the scene, sorry, I'm now just indulging myself here because I was playing, as I have done with a lot of the projects that Eric Coulter has been involved in over the years, going, where's that? Where's that? Oh, I recognise that. So, in the point where the van is being parked, is that Glasgow? Paisley. It's not Paisley. Paisley. No. Paisley. Where are you, Eric? Paisley. Okay. Yeah, it's Paisley. Yeah, Paisley is yeah. a brilliant location. Yeah. yeah, it was a beautiful swoop. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, Joe, sorry, I wanted to come back to you. Joe. Joe. <laughs> well, guys, you can just chat amongst yourselves. Joe's just having a little blather. Uh, Joe, uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, research and preparation for the part. So I, you wouldn't have been in a control room. I did not go to a control room, uh, which sounded very interesting, very fun. My, my prep was, was a bit more solitary and a bit... Um, so basically, I, I did a lot of visualisations. I, I spent a lot of time by myself um, imagining that I was the young Sam and that my mother had left me. And... Um, what that would feel like and I spent a lot of time kind of making that feel real so um, I sound like a crazy person <laughs> um, but I, I wanted to be able to access emotions without having to work very hard on set I wanted to make the, the filming process as quick and easy as possible and so I spent a lot of my prep time creating um, a backstory and a history that I could access and I could I could respond to. So whenever I was in the scene, it was not a case of sort of saying, I was never wondering how I would feel, I was just genuinely feeling what I felt. Yeah. Because I'd spent a lot of time kind of creating the life that Sam has lived before you meet her. And so it was quite solitary and quite creepy. Mm-hmm. I apologise too. But, it's, but it was hugely important because it is, you know, although it's a suspenseful, action-packed thriller, roller coaster ride, and everything, it is, it, it, you know, it's a, a sort of a mashup of genres. So it's a, re- it's a love story, it's a la- relationship drama, yeah. and, and you really m- need that depth with the characters for us to invest in that love story. So th- that kind of process I think was really important. Yeah. Well, so you, you know, me and Ian had been rehearsing for weeks, you know, we did a day rehearsal, an hour every week for 10 weeks before actual rehearsals. And throughout that time, we talked a lot about Sam. Um, and then when we had our first rehearsal with you, you just came in and, you know, 
gives this kind of 10 minute speech about Sam. And we both just looked at each other. I went, all right, she's nailed it, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember doing that at all. Yeah, no, it's, oh, you, no. you just went through the whole psychological thing. And, um, me, you know, me and Ian had been thinking about it in different ways and coming at it from a different angle and talking about psychology. But you just came in and gave this perfect definition of Sam. Oh my gosh, well I'm glad that you thought it was perfect yeah. because imagine if I'd done all that work and you were like, I know, no, no, let's not pick that. Start again. That's nice. Maybe it was on Zoom. Maybe it was in the oh. room. It might have been first or something. I mean, that's very, a very public piece of private feedback you're getting. Yeah. Which is lovely. I mean, imagine if you guys were sat here going, it wasn't worth it. Waste of time. <laughs> Terrible. Well, feedback. You know, it's always nice to give good feedback. Um, and you often don't get the chance because you're yeah, so busy doing stuff. You yeah. meet for a session, but that's and the, like the meet on set, do ADR, and then you know yeah. it's gone. During filming or working with Amy, you knew you knew when you'd nailed it because because you <laughs> you had a quite specific sort of cut. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that. It was the sort of question mark cut. Oh no! And you're like, damn it, we haven't nailed that one. And then there was the sort of like, you've done it. Cut. Okay, cut. Moving on. We knew, <laughs> and Ian and I, we would. So basically, I took up. Ian had had a couple of days filming before I got there, and he he did a he did a, a his take, and then it was the question mark cut. It was cut, <laughs> and then Amy comes over, and we were in the van, and and Ian was like, and, and it, you just sort of appeared at the window, and he went, I know. And you're like, good. And then you walked away. And I was like, what? What just happened? You've been working together for three days. And then a few days later, I felt like we had that. And I was like, I, I get it. I actually, I get it. Like, your, your direction is so succinct. And I feel like because we've done all the prep before in terms of like what the characters were supposed to be. And that, that helps. It's so it's so helps. You know that you've talked about it, so when maybe something's slightly off, then you kind of yeah. have that conversation. Everyone just you knew, know, yeah. Build up to it. Um, uh, this is the first in-person event I think that we've had at Bath Scotland since uh, we entered uh, the pandemic and I wonder, without labouring it perhaps too much, given it's something that we'd quite like to try and escape from, if it had any impact on, on the practicalities of, of getting this filmed. I mean, yes, it, it did, and it still does. I mean, we haven't stopped filming almost since the beginning of the first pandemic. I mean, we've just had one show after the other. So we've had COVID protocols on all of our shows. I think we've probably done, made six series since the start, and it's, they're all slightly different, but they really impact. At the moment, I, you know, I'm filming something in Wales at the moment, a big new series for BBC One. We've got eight people off with COVID today. And no. and we have COVID insurance, you know, so everyone's testing every day. It's really difficult, it's exhausting. We didn't suffer too badly with this. We didn't have to shut down the shoot or anything, but it's a, you know, it was a, a really big part of it. And as, as you alluded to earlier, a lot of the pre-production was remote, was on Zoom. And I think, you know, it does make life easier in some ways, but I think you miss something from not being in the room together. And that that's a shame. 
Um, I think and wearing masks as well mm. on the set. Oh, yeah. Quite difficult for in the middle of, you know, the open air, in the middle of the forest. Yeah, with the moths gone. Doesn't that add to the poetry, Joe? No, it's so funny. <laughs> one of the first, one of the first days of rehearsals, um, I arrived and, I, and, and someone said to me, "So Eric, like a word." And I was like, "I'm being fired. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have fallen at the first hurdle. I've walked out. They got out of the car and they gone no." Um, but it was the it was the COVID chat. Oh. It was like, please, can you guys behave yourselves? And and this is away from filming. This, this is, is before rehearsals started. Yeah. So this was sort of we day call, one. We called it soft isolation. Soft isolation. <laughs> don't go out with your mate. Don't go off to Glastonbury this year. You know, it was a yeah. kind of you know just asking people to take a little bit more care over the weekends. And I mean, this wasn't a super long shoot because it's just three parts and don't we love watching shows that are just three parts i mean i just like i get so excited if something three or four parts because you know when you think i'm really enjoying this but it's a ten part <laughs> now that we're not in lockdown yeah, yeah, yeah. make at least uh, you know we're, we're having the pendulum effect swing back not ten know, episodes three episodes i mean it's great to have the full sort of gamut of stuff but you know six feels good three's even better. Yeah. <laughs> so much stuff happens in such a short space of time, and I mean, I feel like that with American shows a bit. I'm just like, you are dragging this yeah, out, yeah. and like, it was joyous because it's literally just like, plot, 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 character, character, character. We did think of doing four. I mean, there was sort of enough material for four, but actually, condensing it down into three, it just kind of just keeps going. It's it's relentless, so it, which is great. So. Great. Well, I can attest to the fact that the other two are as gripping as the one that we've just seen. Uh, so we're going to throw out to the audience in just a second, but I have one last question for all of you. The significance of the fact that this was filmed largely here in Glasgow and in Scotland. Jo? I, I love working back in Scotland because obviously I grew up here and like the crew, they're just the talent of the crew in Scotland is just, you know, world leading. Um, but also I love the fact that my mum looks after my dog when I'm filming and I can see her every weekend. <laughs> um, similarly, it's lovely filming in Scotland. Um, you know, so many other shows are fil filmed just all over, uh, you know, Europe and Britain. Um, so it's, I moved back to Scotland a few years ago. So it's lovely to be able to do something close to home. But also the crew are amazing. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> but they're just really so fun as well. Mm -hmm. They've just got so much good banter and uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, you are yeah. a Ouija actually. Yeah, so don't, don't I just oh, yeah. it. But, um, <laughs> no, we've wanted to, as a company, we've wanted to work in Scotland for a while and I've wanted to work with Gaynor for a while. So personally for me, actually just working with, with Gaynor on the project, which she totally got right from the off, that was really exciting, um, but no, we, we were keen to find something specifically to shoot in Scotland. We do a lot of filming in, in Wales, we have an office in Wales, but yeah, no, Scotland was a little bit like coming home, but, um, and the Christmas trees. <laughs> yeah, of course, like all the way home. Uh, okay, folks, thank you very much for entertaining my questions. We now have some questions from the floor, hopefully. Um, so please do fire your hand up. Someone at the very back, thank you very much. Very back corner, loudest voice please. Were you the writer and the producer? The, is it 
I wasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> My producer is here today, Eric. So I was the exec producer, so I, I really was um, developing the project um, and then took the project to the BBC, sold the project and gathered my team. Um, and I didn't write it, sadly. Nick but, Leather. Uh, Nick Leather wrote it. Tell us a little bit about Nick's background. Um, well, Nick had been on my radar for a long time, as had Amy, but um, Nick wrote a wonderful, oh, just heartbreaking drama called uh, Murdered for Being Different. And so I met him after I saw that and he, he went on to other things like Mother's Day and he wrote, he wrote on Jimmy McGovern's series Broken and, you know, just the most amazing writer. So... That was one of those things where we just kept meeting and trying to find something, you know, we got on very well, we were just trying to find the idea, you know, so, um, yeah, so I had a relationship with Nick anyway, and, and um, we, we sort of knew the kind of thing we wanted to do, and it sort, of became, it sort of came out organically, so it wasn't an adaptation of anything, it was just a... A totally original idea from Nick. And little flakes of both his experience and, and your, your Christmas tree um, horror. horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Uh, who's next? Charlie. Um, I suppose this should go to Amy, but was the end result close to what you had in mind, or did, was there a lot of evolution in, in the edit? Um, yeah, the edit was a very creative process. It was really very satisfying. Um, worked with a brilliant editor called David Arthur um, and I think there was a little bit well quite a lot of restructuring in terms of the, the past so in terms of figuring out how that integrated in to the present day story was um, was kind of quite exciting to do in a way that we could kind of shift things around and um, pull out images from, say, episode that had been intended for episode three and put them into episode one. Like there's a little shot of him just at the end with his, you know, Sam on his body, and he puts his hand on it. That that was originally, I think, episode three. And there's a little that you get a bit more of an explanation of that. Um, <clears throat> but I kind of always knew that the flashbacks would be that type of thing because I think flashbacks are very difficult to to do if it's linear, um, because I, I just knew that the, the thrilling story was really thrilling. So I did shoot more material um, with the kids. Uh, I had a brilliant um, second unit director in Eric, the producer, who I just sent him off to, if we had the kids of a day and maybe they were not used, not being used in the afternoon. Off to McDonald's. <laughs> Send them off up to the tree farm with um, some instructions about what type of thing that I wanted. So quite a bit of the material comes from those additional um, additional moments. Um, so I always had an idea about how the past should be. Um, but it, it definitely came together that, that in bond the edit. between those two characters, because, you know, yeah. going back to that love story, it wasn't, you know, it was obviously a childhood friendship yeah. Yeah. and something that wasn't a love. They were, you know, they were really 10, but 
it evolves into something yeah. much more profound. And how did the how did the children get on with each other? How did the did young Gabe and, and young Sam get on with it's each other? Well. Yeah, Gabe, our young Gabe is two years older than uh, the the little girl playing um, young Sam is very young. You know, she's a bit younger than we thought she would be, and. Yeah, she she was young, wasn't she? So we did, um, you know, kids get distracted, as we know. <laughs> so she got a phone on it. She was showing yeah, the yeah, she really did. Dogs and chinchillas, what can I say? Get distracted. Okay, folks. Any other questions? Yes, please. Question for Elaine, I think. It's going out three nights in a row, but also I believe on iPlayer, you can watch it before it's transmitted. Is it your idea or is it the BBC's idea? Well, we're very happy that they're doing that. Um, the fact that it's box-setted up on the iPlayer, I mean, it goes out on the same day. It doesn't go out before TX on, on Sunday night. And I think we're hoping to attract a slightly younger audience as well to this. We've always talked about it as being a little bit more of a millennial thriller. Um, and, you know, my dearest hope really is that someone will watch it on a Sunday night, maybe, you know, or, or BBC One and go click on to the iPlay because they want to watch the next episode. That's, that's fine. That's great. I mean, um, you know, watching one night after the other is, is also good. And the majority of people will continue to watch it that way on, on the BBC. Again, it'll probably talk, she's got more data about people's viewing habits on BBC One, but, but I think it's great to be able to offer up that um, that choice. Why do you think it maybe undermines the well, linear experience? I thought you might throw that back. Not at all. No, I was just, <laughs> I was just wondering, the thinking behind it, did it originally come from you? I would. I, I have to say, i tell you what, some shows are absolutely benefit from not being box-setted um, but I think although there are lots of kind of twists and turns there aren't it's not like massive spoilers so it you know you don't feel that oh my god the whole thing's gonna be ruined if someone mentions something because it's it's not quite that kind of show so I think it's I think it works well to have to have them both. I'm very pleased it's all going out over consecutive evenings because I think that helps with something short form like this. I think it can get a bit lost if it's just going out once a week over three weeks. So box setting this show was absolutely the right decision. It was the BBC's decision, but we, you know, they talk to us about what they're planning to do. And you, you can definitely lobby to not have that if you want, I think, but um, we, we didn't in this case. I think, I think it was the right decision. I am interested in picking up on something that you said earlier about the millennial considerations. What, what does that, how is that represented then? I think there were lots of, there were lots of kind of um, themes that we, we were trying to work in about how difficult it is to be. I mean, there's a bit of arrested development with our Gabe how difficult it is to be doing a, a job of work, doing it really, really well, going out to work day in, day out, and you're in that shoddy flat share. There's, there's nothing more. This lad is really not earning very much money. 
Um, and we really didn't shy away from, from that at all, even though it's kind of aspirational in terms of its style and scale. These are working people doing a working job, living in working class communities. And, you know, they're, they feel a little disenfranchised. And we touch on that here and there. It's not, it's not total social commentary, but we did have lots of things we kind of wanted to say about that. And I hopefully they, they're in there. He's got all that to consider. Andy has to contend with being the owner of a vintage Volvo estate, <laughs> and I mean vintage. Didn't seem to break down on them though, so hopefully that's not too much of a headache for him. Nice, nice. piece of classic car finding. Yeah, no emission, low emission zones for that car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, any other questions from the floor? Oh, we have uh, two. Yes, okay. I've got one for Joe. So you were just discussing your process for playing Sam, but is that the same for every character, or say like when you did the Paradise? Very different character, very different process, or do you kind of do the same thing? So just for those who couldn't maybe hear the question, the, the, the question was whether uh, Joe's approach from character to character is the same as the one that she's described here. Um, I have to like rack my brain back to doing Paradise. With the Paradise there was a lot of um, source material, so that was based on a book and it was set in a very specific period of time and a lot of my preparation for that was based in based on research and what it would have been like and so i suppose there's a version that is the same where i was imagining what my day-to-day -day would have looked like had i been alive then um, i don't think i went quite as deep because i probably didn't have to but I was a lot younger and then what I found was that when I was asked to do the scenes that were more emotional, had more depth to them, I found them much more difficult. So I would have to say to the director, I need 10 minutes. <laughs> and it was a gift to not be able to say that now. And that's something that I've learned as I've, as I've worked in the industry, is sort of what prep I need to do beforehand so that I can turn up on the day ready to work. Um, so I would say it does vary from character to character, but I think as I learn on each job, I will add to it, and who knows what in 10 years' time I might be saying about how I work. And that's the joy of being an actor, is that you just constantly get to learn, and you work with incredible people that you learn something from, and you say, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to use that forever. And I didn't have that on the last one, you know. So. We're looking forward to seeing more photo fits. <laughs> uh, can we have the question from the gentleman in the second row, please? Amy, I just wanted to ask you about the hands, the fingers touching. I'd love that shot. Was it your idea? Um, that evolved out of discussions between Ian and I in rehearsals. And we talked a lot about young uh, about the idea that his He's not had his mum's hand to hold since she died, and it felt like this was the moment. So I think in the script it was something like they're lying in bed together, and we thought, right, that's the moment to be able to put that in. Um, and it ended up being much more of a scene than it actually was. But then when Joe was doing it, and I could see all the emotion in her eyes, and I could see Ian breaking his heart, and then 
you know, the editor did an assembly of it, and it was about five minutes long, wasn't it? <laughs> and I just loved it. I was like, wow, this is brilliant. We obviously cut it down, but it, it really, um, I think it really worked for feeding that in, and then there's a bit more hand stuff in... Yeah, the Christmas tree. Becomes a theme, in, Oh, the Christmas tree. Oh, yeah, yeah that's another the one. Angel. But in yeah. episodes two and three, you see a bit more of him holding his mum's hand. So hopefully that connection will... You've maybe you've already made it. <laughs> <laughs> it's upstairs, downstairs thing as well. She's of him. Oh yeah. Was that deliberate? Uh, that was Nick. Yeah, he, he wrote that as a. It's one of those things writers write. You go, oh, how are we going to do this? You know, it's like you think they're lying together. It's always a problem. Those kind of things, but it worked out really lovely. Yeah, it worked really nice. Yeah, so always pleased with that. Great. Do we have time for one more? Well, it was impossible. Uh, do we have one more? No. no, we don't have time for one more. We don't have time for one more. I've got one question, actually, that I wanted to ask, actually, and it, it kind of, it's a little bit of a nod to what happens next, but no spoilers. I wonder, did Nick, given what emerges in the dynamics of the people that are working together as this moves through, did Nick come across anything that gave him that kind of food for thought, for writing? Or was that from his own fertile imagination? was from his own personal imagination. I so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't say too much. I, no, dead body, no. But the, the, the emotional story, there's a lot of stuff I wouldn't want to presume to start talking about Nick's personal life, but loss and um, the anxieties he had as a young child, there's a lot that's found its way yeah. into the show. Mm -hmm. and yeah, if you ask him about <laughs> it and interrogate him, he always says, oh, when I was at school, yeah. This happened, so the characters yeah. all seem to have be based on something. Something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that he was really keen on is that all the characters could be the story could have been about them, could have been from their perspective, and I think the detective is a really key example of that. But all the people that work in the control room, like this story, could have been told from in their life. Yeah. And I think that makes whole drama incredibly rich because yeah. they're all so well developed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's food for thought for a lot of us if we ever have to phone those three numbers uh, about what dynamic we might be entering into and hopefully we find someone like Abe. Well, mostly at the end. Uh, okay, folks, thank you ever so much. Um, I must remind you that uh, the transmission details for the control room are the 17th of July at 9 o'clock on BBC One uh, followed by the 18th and the 19th, so please uh, thank you for all your questions, but thank you for the answers uh, from Elaine, from Amy. Okay, folks, uh, thank you very much. Please do consider joining us for drinks uh, afterwards, and uh, please show your appreciation to our three guests. <laughs>